from Star Studios in Denison, Texas, this is Coffee with a Sign Painter, a weekly podcast hosted by sign painter Sean Starr that consists of interviews with other sign painters and some of the customers and characters Sean comes across while running his studio. Okay, welcome back to Coffee with a Sign Painter. Uh, today's guest is Meredith Kasabian. She is um, the other half of Best Dressed Signs in Boston with Josh Luke. And uh, she's also with Josh. She was one of the founders of a group called the Pre-Vinylite Society, which is a, um, well, I'll let her explain, but um, it's, a, it's an interesting twist on an old artistic movement. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and talk to Meredith and um, see what pre-vinylite society is all about and how you, if uh, you're interested in it, can find it and participate. So let's go ahead and give our attention to Meredith Kasabian in Boston of the pre-vinylite society. Okay, getting back to our our conversation about the pre-vinylite society. Yeah. Um, Why don't you tell us about... Um, what it is and mm-hmm. how it came about, and um, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, so the Pre-Vinylite Society is um, it's just a sort of a loose network of sign painters, sign enthusiasts, people that are interested in signs, um, but also people that are interested in um, just sort of their aesthetic environment, like... Um, it's kind of just a call for people to kind of be more aware of what their neighborhoods look like, um, take more pride in their neighborhoods by like appreciating quality signage. And, um, but personally, I think it can stretch even beyond signs, you know, um, into like architecture and, and like, um, just the, the, the things, the sort of built environment that you see every day, just sort of like, I feel like um, maybe in the last however long, people have sort of kind of zoned out on what their kind of daily commute looks like, and they don't, you know. So it's just kind of a call for people to, like, pay attention. Wake up a little. Yeah, and look up, actually. We were thinking of, um, we keep coming up with these ideas for, like, T-shirts or whatever that we never do, but one of them was um, was either look up, it was like the Pre-Violent Society, and then on the back or something, I would say, like, look up. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much what it is. It's, you know, it's a loose kind of idea. Um, but it started from, um, so when Josh and I first moved here, um, to Boston from San Francisco in 2010, we were, um, we were in grad school and, um, I was in grad school for English and Josh was in grad school for art. Um, but a lot of the, the work that I do in, with writing and research and stuff has always been um, kind of centered on art and like material objects and stuff. Um, and so I got really into the, uh, the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, which was a 19th century group of artists that um, they were like classically trained in the um, Royal Academy in England. Um, but they, they sort of rebelled against that idea of like, you know, that you have to paint a certain way. Cause at the time they were teaching that composite, you know, like um, painting compositions had to be like a certain way. They were teaching people to, to paint like in a very 
mechanistic kind of like set way. And the pre-Raphaelites decided that, um, you know, they didn't want to do it that way. And they started kind of like playing with perspective and all that kind of stuff. And they called themselves the pre-Raphaelites because they, they saw this tradition of this very kind of like rote way of making art as starting from a, from a tradition that started with Raphael. So they called themselves the pre-Raphaelites and they would, um, they were like, they were just like 19, 20 year old kids. Um, and they would start putting, um, PRB, the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood, they would sign their paintings with that. And Josh and I had a lot of conversations about them and about sign painting and stuff. And so we just, um, we just thought, you know, how can we kind of take this rebellious sort of attitude and kind of apply it to what we're doing with sign painting and, um, and that kind of thing. So we were just kind of sitting around talking about it. And Josh was like, how can I, you know, what if I start a, a Facebook page where like people can connect? Cause we had just started meeting people online, you know, other sign painters and other people that were interested in signs. Um, and so Josh came up with the name pre-vinylite society and, and it, it sort of has just grown out of that, you know, sitting around the kitchen talking about it and setting up a Facebook page. So what, what kind of, um, what kind of activity have you guys gotten like through the Facebook page? Is there a decent amount of people participating? Yeah. Well, so the, the whole Facebook thing is, um, you know, they keep changing things. I, I yeah. they, like, I think they're just, you know, to like keep their employees doing something. Busy work. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we got a lot of um, followers. We were surprised by how many followers there were. But the, but the Facebook thing is sort of like, um, so we had it set up as a page, which means that there's like um, an administrator called the Pre-Vinylite Society who then like says things. Um, and I, we sort of, you know, I, it's not an authoritative entity. Like We didn't want the Pre-Vinylite Society to like have control over you know we wanted it to be like everybody kind of talking um so we just recently started a pre-vinylite society group page which is more like that like there's no one person called the pre-vinylite society there's like no president of the anarchists right exactly yeah 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 so um so the facebook page is kind of like i'm the administrator but i really um, you know, I just kind of repost what people post on there, but it was getting a little, it gets a little tedious to repost what everybody's posting on there. Cause it also like doesn't show up unless it's posted by the pre-vinylite society. So, so if anybody's interested in getting on Facebook and, and joining the pre-vinylite society, the, the best bet now is to do the pre-vinylite society group. Okay. Cause then it's a lot more like, um, interactive and, 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 there's no, yeah, there's no, like, authority. So you guys have, um, from from what I've seen, um, you guys have curated and put together um, multiple gallery shows of sign painting art. Yeah. Um, tell us about that. Um, okay, so the first show, the first Pre-Vinylite Society show um, was uh, curated by Josh, and that was in um, 2011 here in Boston. Um, that one didn't really have like a theme. It was just signs. Um, and there were, um, 
all different kinds of signs. Like there was, um, I don't know if there were any paper signs in that one, but there was a lot of glass, which was kind of crazy because it came from other parts of the country, you know, like in crates and stuff. And then we were sort of responsible for it, but everything thankfully made it there and back. Um, but yeah, that one was kind of, you know, just, just, just sign painting. And I think it was, um, well, New Bohemia had done a couple of sign painting shows in San Francisco, but, um, outside of that, I don't think there had been very many other ones, um, up until that point. Yeah. I uh, think, uh, that show you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, you were, were you I, in it? No, I think that was just prior to the, uh, Guerrero gallery show in San Francisco. Yeah. And I yeah. already committed to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that one was the first one, and then um, Colt Bowden um, mm-hmm. did the Icy Caps show mm-hmm. um, in California. Uh, I think Northern California. I don't remember mm-hmm. where it was, but um, but yeah, he did the Icy Caps show, and then um, and then I did one um, last March that was about script lettering, mm-hmm. um, and so my kind of. Um, my what I'm interested in doing with the Brevinalite Society is um, like I'm more interested in like sort of the cultural context of signs and the historical context of signs than I am in like the making of signs. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, so with the script show, I had a friend that gave me um, that gave me the idea. He has a daughter, and she um, she's in you know elementary school or whatever and the um, public schools are no longer required to teach cursive handwriting yeah i read that so so, um so with that show i just i decided to have it be script um and then i wrote a um sort of like a companion piece to go along with the show that was kind of about how it was about sort of a very, very, very brief um, history of handwriting and the different kinds of handwriting, the different kind of schools of handwriting, um, and then you know, kind of talking about the current state of it and, and what happens when um, no. It basically it becomes this thing where it's like only the elite will know how to n- not only write handwriting but but read it, you know, and ha- be able to access that kind of like your grandparents' letters and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so because it's, you know, public schools aren't required to teach it. And so if, you know, the public schools are already, if they're already struggling with funding, they're not going to teach something they don't have to teach. That isn't honestly very practical anyway these days. So it's going to only be schools that have more money that can sort of have something that isn't like. What, what do you feel about that? Um, I, I mean, I feel like it's going to become something that's that's elitist. And uh, I mean, I, I it's hard well, to what say. What do you feel about uh, the school stopping teaching cursive writing and script? It's hard to say because, you know, on the one hand, like, yes, it's something that we're that we're going to lose as a as a in the general public is going to is going to lose this thing. But on the other hand, I completely understand it. If you're a school that um, is struggling for funding and it's it really isn't a practical thing i mean it's it's not practical this day and age it's really only something that we can kind of hold on to the past so i do that brings up a a good question of um and that's why i'm trying to get at how you feel about it more than anything Mm -hmm. is just um 
as things progress, if you can consider it that more mm. technologically, um, and we lose these kind of things, mm. um, practical or not, like, how do you feel about that? Is that a good thing to you? Is that a bad thing? I mean, that brings up oh, the whole no. thing about artificial intelligence and the singularity and all yeah. that as well. I mean, what, what do you think as somebody who's <clears throat> co-founded an organization, you know, of trying to preserve old things in a sense, right. Right. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I definitely lament the loss of it. I mean, it, that's, it's hard. It's, it's like, how I feel about it personally um, is a little, is, is I guess a different, not necessarily different, but um, doesn't necessarily coincide with how I feel about it sort of um, socially or whatever. But personally, yeah, I think it's horrible. I think it's, it's um, you know, it's, it, it's the key to the past that we will only be I think that's the thing I don't think it's going to be lost completely I think that there will still be people that do it but I think those people are going to be elitist they're going to be the you know you're going to have to get your grandparents letters you're going to have to go to somebody and have them translated or or transcribed Hmm. you know so that's it's it's sad but it's you know I don't know I mean I'm definitely I definitely lament the loss of it but it's um, I think it's inevitable, so it's sort of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the same, you know, plane as you. I mean, we're, we're right now using, you know, technology to be able to do this. And oh, yeah. This conversation and share it with people all over the world. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I hate it. And I hate that we are, um, every day, the more technology that's, you know, becoming available, the more disconnected we all are from each other. You know, the whole selling point, you know, originally was supposedly, I think that, you know, oh, this is going to connect everyone and it's really disconnecting yeah. everyone. It do- Well, it does both. It works in both ways. It's like um, uh, one of the things that um, one of like the pieces of sign history that I am like find really fascinating is um, so mostly mo- the era that I sort of study the most is like the 18th century, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the the point where so many things started changing to the way that we know them now. Um, so one of the things is that in the 18th century, um, most signs were pictorial because most people were illiterate. Okay, and so. Um, uh, there was a, a point where uh, there was sort of an overhaul, and I'm talking about um, mostly England and America. Like I don't, you know, I don't know about other other places really because that's just what I study. But um, so there was a point where um, the signs started changing to to words, and that also happened at the time where um, they started implementing the numbering and naming system for streets. Because before the before the streets were numbered, they people were actually like using the signs to give each other directions. So they were saying, you know, I live two doors down from the sign of the cock or whatever, which is like you know a rooster, <laughs> which would be like the name of a tavern. Or okay, <laughs> glad you clarified. Um, or I don't. I guess I didn't have to choose that. I could have said something else but uh the sign of the the sign of the crown freud would be proud yeah (laughs) but um but yeah so that's how people would actually give directions was based on you know these whatever image was on it 
What's that? So they would base it on whatever image was on the sign? Right, okay. right. So, um, so when, like, the numbering system came into, it came, you know, started happening, um, it almost made it where it was, like, like, one main street is one main street. Like, whether it's, like, a church or a tavern or, like, a brothel or, like, a, you know, no matter what it is, one main street is one main street. So it kind of made it so it was, like, made the space more exchangeable in a way. Like, it wasn't, um, do you know what I mean? Like, it made it so that you could kind of change out the, the, the place and it didn't really matter because that was still one main street. So it's sort of it like in a similar way, it's like with the technology with like GPS. Now we don't even need to look at street. Now we're just looking down at our phones and just taking a left when the machine tells us to take a left. Like we're not. And if and there's ever a blackout, we're a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have this idea for, um, a short story and, and now I'm, someone's going to take it and that's all right. Cause I'm never going to do it, but, um, <laughs> it's called GPS to hell. So it's like these people that are in like a, um, they're in a traffic jam uh-huh. and they like, cause they're just following their GPS, but like the GPS is just sending if there's a traffic jam, it like because comes alive or everyone. Comes alive. <laughs> 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 well, maybe Stephen King will listen and pick that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's open. Well, so what do you guys, um, okay. Clarify this for me, like who who is the pre vinylite society at this point? Is it is it you and Josh? And I know Colt uh Bowden is involved. Yeah, yeah. Um it's everybody that wants to call it's everybody Whoever that wants, wants to, to jump themselves. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you wanna be a pre vinylite, you're a pre vinylite. It's not um yeah, I mean there's no president of the anarchist. So if somebody's sort of, in but, Montana and wants to put together a show mm-hmm. and can proceed with that and is that yeah, correct I mean, or yeah i mean i think um i think it, it can get a little bit tricky in the sense i mean yes absolutely if somebody wants to put on a pre-vinylite society show that's that would be wonderful um i can see the potential of it maybe getting um beyond what maybe we've like first envisioned it to be or first intended it to be or whatever. Like, like uh, there's sometimes a misconception. I think that people think that pre-vinyl equals anti-vinyl mm-hmm. and there's sort of been these sort of anti-vinyl kind of sentiments going around. And it's not, um, I mean, I guess when we first started, you know, first came up with the name, we were, I guess, kind of naive about um, like what, like vinyl, the sort of different kinds of vinyl or the potential of vinyl. We were, we were really just thinking about like, you know, the quickie signs, vinyl banner flapping in the wind and peeling, you know, we weren't thinking about like well-designed vinyl signs or whatever. Yeah. And and I think um, I've had this conversation um, with a lot of people that have been, you know, in the trade a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree that there's definitely um, there's a, a, a place for vinyl that is very practical and it's very mm-hmm. superior to paint mm-hmm. in certain areas. You know, like if you've got a fleet of 20 vans mm-hmm. that you turn in for lease every five years, you yeah. know, putting vinyl on them is far more practical than painting on them and having to get trucks repainted right. before you turn them in and all that. and. Um, you know, so 
even though I'm, I've always been very vocal in complaining about vinyl, it's more about the that transition that we've all talked about, where um, basically all of that technology was embraced in such a way that people were attempting to do custom signage with vinyl and with no background in designing and no background in color coordination or anything else and just spitting out horrible looking things that 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 wasn't their place you know that wasn't the fit you know if you open up some you know little indie coffee shop in in a corner building in a in a town square type thing Mm -hmm. then yeah you know putting stickers all over is just not the right fit right yeah yeah and i think like when we when we first sort of came up with the idea and came up with the name um we had just moved to boston from san francisco and josh had worked um at new bohemia signs in san francisco for like five years before we moved to boston and when we moved to boston we we lived in this um kind of really transient um like college student grad student neighborhood where like there's no there's no investment in the signage or or much else and um you know because it's like every every year every two years you're going to get a new crop of people coming in so it's like didn't it felt like the the shops in the the neighborhood didn't really feel like they needed to invest in anything and it Mm. kind of it had this really ephemeral like um it didn't feel like home, you know, it just felt like we were just sort of passing through and that everybody else was sort of passing through. And I think the vinyl signs, the just kind of whatever crappy, you know, banners, um, and on some nice places too. Like there was a really nice bar down the street from us that had like, like they seemed to really care about their, like their aesthetic on the inside. They had like exposed brick and they had these nice pool tables and like, you know, it was a nice looking place and they just had like a grommeted vinyl black lettering on a white background kind of mm-hmm. sign. And we, we talked to them about it, obviously, because we were, you know, back then we were sort of hustling and giving our business card out everywhere we went. And they, they just didn't, it just was like, they didn't yeah. understand or they were like, we have a sign. What do you mean? You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, it's, um, you you can't convince somebody that doesn't already get the value of a, a well-designed, executed sign. You can't convince them because uh, they would already have one. Yeah. That's the conclusion I've come to. Is I think the, the very worst um, effort that someone who's out hustling and trying to get established and trying to get work, the worst effort you can make is to go into a place that has a bad sign. Because yeah. they already made that bad decision once right, and they didn't right. think it was bad because they spent the money and it's still there. And, um, you know, so that, that, uh, that took many years for me to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I remember, um, when we first got the studio open in San Francisco, <clears throat> I walked from the outer mission all the way down mission street, um, to downtown and handed out flyers over mm-hmm. like a three day period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got zero jobs from any of it yeah. because yeah. you know that's just uh that's a part of the city that's just um right you know it is what it is it's just hodgepodge yeah. of people that have just thrown things in there and they're trying to make money and um so yeah it was odd because um right after i i made that effort i got a call um 
from a place in the hate that wanted me to let their windows and mm-hmm. I hadn't not even begun to go in that direction of the city yet. So yeah. funny how that worked. Yeah. Well, we, when we first moved here, we, um, we, um, contacted the tattoo shops mm-hmm. and that was, that was what, um, you know, t- a tattoo shop was the first sign that we did here. Um, cause I think that they're more, obviously more likely to, you know, be, interested in something hand done and um so the first the first sign that we did in boston was a tattoo shop that um that did have a really bad sign and they knew they were like you know they just were like whoa we just got an email from somebody saying that they want to paint us a sign and they had like a it was like um it was like foam core with like, it looked like a kinder care sign. And they, uh-huh. they, I mean, I'm saying this too, but they said it to me <laughs> as well. You know, <laughs> it was, I think they, I think they, um, they, they did a bonfire with it after yeah. <laughs> when they put up the new one. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think the tattoo shops are a good natural fit for someone wanting to just, you know, get themselves out there and get some work under their belt. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of work to do. It's not just the name of the tattoo shop. There's Mm -hmm. little signs inside the little rules. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I know Derek McDonald, um, Mm -hmm. uh, at golden West signs in Berkeley, you know, we had talked about that a few years back when they were filming the sign painter movie. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you know, back then, I don't know if he's still doing this, but, um, when work would get slow, he'd, paint a bunch of tattoo related signs and put them in his van and he'd drive all the way from San Francisco LA by the time he yeah. got to LA he had sold them all and, yeah. and was able to pay his bills and go back home yeah tattoo shops are definitely a good um, a good place to, at least to start or like yeah if you're having a slower time they tend to go buy you know cash only or tips appreciated or yeah yeah so do you have any um upcoming things with the pre-vinylite society do you have shows that you're working on or lining up or anything like that what's what's going on i do have a show that i'm working on um so um like i said the 18th century is is my kind of uh that's my era that i like the best and um so there was actually the very first sign painting exhibition was in London in 1762. Um, Seriously? They, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, I know. it's. I was like, when I found this out, I was like running around the house, like trying to get everybody to look. <laughs> look. Um, so, yeah. So, um, because the signs were kind of... Um, they were kind of crazy. Like it was kind of a chaotic scene in 18th century London, um, partially because, um, so before maybe like the mid 18th century, 1750s or so, most signs were just for taverns or inns because the, the idea of a shop hadn't really come into being yet. Like people still kind of went to like the weekly market to buy their goods. Okay. Um, but in the, in the 18th century with like the industrial revolution and also, um, specifically in England, um, they were, you know, colonizing the world. So they were, they were, uh, there was this influx of a bunch of products, either from colonized lands or from the industrial revolution, they were um, manufacturing things. So all these shops started popping up and specialty type shops. And so more shops, more signs, 
And the signs were getting like bigger and bigger and bigger. And they were, you know, like competing with each other. They were like obstructing the, the street. Like you couldn't even see down the road because the signs were like so big. And there was no, um, there were no laws or codes about signs at the time. So in, um, in 1762 in London, there was a city ordinance that required that all of the projecting signs be taken down because they were falling down. They killed. They actually killed people a couple times. Wow! So they had to be taken down and replaced with signs that were um, that would be like affixed to the fronts of buildings. So this group of satirist journalists and playwrights and um, you know those the kind of people that you know took the piss and you know wrote wrote like um, satirical. Uh, articles and newspapers and stuff they had this idea they were called the nonsense club they had this idea that they were going to go out and actually remove the signs from the streets themselves and hang them up in a gallery and they charged people to come to what they called the grand exhibition of the society of sign painters and that was the very first sign painting. With stolen show. signs, they yeah. charged people to come look at them. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, and it was, a, it was a, you know, it was a sarcastic kind of, they weren't at the time, you know, <clears throat> we have this sort of anachronistic tendency to want to be like, oh, that, that's so, you know, they were, they were. Um, kind of questioning, you know, what is art or can signs be art or whatever, but I, that's not really what they were doing. They were just kind of having fun and They're just trying being punks. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So my idea, <clears throat> hold on, I'm going to take a sip of water. Okay. So my idea is, um, oh, okay. So also there's a, um, there's a catalog that they printed to go along with the show. So none of the signs exist anymore. Like none of them survived. Um, but they have a, a catalog, which is like a written list that describes the signs that were in the show. Okay. And some of them are sort of literal. And then some of them are kind of cryptic and weird and kind of making fun of the signs. So my favorite one is um, uh, a dying swan supposed oh no i'm sorry i got that wrong a flying swan supposed by some to be a dying one so it's kind of making fun of like it was such a bad painting that uh. you can't tell if it's, you know that kind of thing so okay so my idea is to have um have the artists choose a um a description from the catalog and they can either letter the description word for word or they can pictorially interpret. Okay. So it'll be a show of both um, pictures and letters. That's awesome. And, yeah, and I'm trying to make it happen actually in London. I've been talking to, um, well, Sam Roberts has been has been a wonderful um, uh, resource. He's the ghost signs guy, right? He's the ghost signs guy. He he's been he's been wonderful. He's um, he's also editing a, um, a book that I'm going to be writing a chapter for on ghost signs. Um, my chapter is on faux ghost signs, which actually I want to ask your opinion on that. Um, but but anyway, so he put me in touch with um, uh, Liat Chen, who was uh, the co-curator for the Business as Usual show that just happened in London that um, Jed Palmer. Okay, yeah, I saw the pictures together. of that. So, um, so I'm talking with her about trying to get it to happen in London because I just think that it... Um, 
it makes more sense to happen in London. It's a piece of British history that um, nobody knows about. And um, uh, I just think it would be better received there. And, and also, you know, I want to involve a lot of the British sign writers. Yeah, that, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so actually, I want to ask you, um, so, okay, so I'm writing a chapter for, um, it's gonna, it's an academic book on ghost signs okay. that is um, being edited by um, Sam Roberts and then um, Stefan Schutt, or Schutt, I don't know how to pronounce his name, um, and Leanne White from the Victoria University in Australia. Okay. Um, and my chapter is on faux ghost signs mm-hmm. um, and kind of um, how what that what the role of the sign painter is these days in producing these Vogo signs. So I'm actually going to be sending out a survey um, in the next like week or so um, asking sort of a, a series of questions of what sign painters think about painting Fogo signs. So I'm curious. I'm, I'm sure that you have an opinion on it. So yeah. do you get quests for Fogo signs and, and how do you feel about doing them? Yeah, and you know, most of the wall signs that we do, mm-hmm. um, they they want them, you know, aged and distressed and to look old. So we do a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, e- email me the questions. I would attempt mm-hmm. to answer them now, but I'm not quite awake enough to think okay. that much. Okay, I was trying to turn the tables on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. I'm actually, I'm going to be sending it out probably. There's a, there's a distressed sign workshop group on Facebook and... Um, I'll put it out on the Pre-Vinylite Society group, too. But it'll be like a survey monkey. Yeah, I've been um, working with um, a professor at the University of Texas in San Antonio who's kind of doing a similar um, thing. She's putting together a book and some other stuff related to um, Mexican sign painters Mm-hmm. in San Antonio. And okay. Since that's where I got my start, mm-hmm. um, I've provided some input that makes sense to me. But, um, yeah, I think it's really cool that even just academically that there's people, yeah. you know, trying to document and, and explore the history of it. It's, yeah. um, you know, because a lot of that, I think, without that would just kind of drift off yeah. into nothing. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's important that it's that signs are being discussed in you know larger kind of like uh, forums than than just between sign painters. You know, I think it's important to to get it out to people that may not really ever think about signs. You know, yeah, I think it's and you know, like even with this podcast, you know, the the numbers that we're getting, um, I'm I'm pretty certain at this point there's not that many sign painters alive and working left (laughs) you know so there's obviously a lot of interest from you know graphic designers i know there's a Mm -hmm. core group there that follow sign painting but i I think it's just spreading wider and wider which is pretty exciting yeah totally okay now last episode i interviewed um james roy thomas in la sign painter and I failed to do something, and I received a lot of crap for it, which is I did not, I did not ask him about his uh, music choices or his guilty pleasures of music. So I will dump that on you. Of what, what have you been listening to in the last week to two weeks? And you have to admit it if it's embarrassing. Okay. Um, well, this isn't, it's not embarrassing for... We the- all want to hear the embarrassing. 
right. Well, it's, I'm not embarrassed by any, I'm not embarrassed by any of my. I love the music. I love is the music I love, and I don't, okay. I don't care. The only thing that's like maybe kind of embarrassing is that um, I listen to the Pogues on St. Patrick's Day. Like <laughs> I would listen to the Pogues. Like I've been listening to the Pogues for twenty years. I mean, like I would any excuse. But you know, I, I did feel like a little, a little bit cliche. Like, yeah, I was in Boston listening yeah, to the Pogues. Yeah. <laughs> I was cleaning the house and like um, you know, kind of dancing around. And um, I, I, I was a little bit self conscious of what the neighbors are like. Oh, she's listening to Irish music on St. Patrick's Day, but um, but. Yeah, I, I've been listening to, um, so, uh, there's a band called Dive. I think it's Dive. Josh keeps saying Div, but it's D-I-I-V. Um, that's really good. That's like a new, because I, I kind of get stuck in my era. Like, I get stuck in my eras. So, like, most of what I listen to is, like, or sort of, like, my foundation for uh, music yeah, is, like, thing. yeah, like, like um, kind of post-punk, punk, 70s you know, that kind of thing. So I, I get excited when I find a band that's new that I really like, uh, you know? So, um, yeah, dive. Oh yeah. I've been listening to the English beat a lot. So we're kind of having a, um, which apparently I found out is just called the beat in England. Um, yeah. I think they had to add English when they started selling records in the U S cause there was yeah, somebody already was, doing that here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we've been kind of having like, um, a couple of warm days, you know, like it's, it was a horrific, brutal winter. So the couple of nice days that we've had, I've been like, you know, I want to listen to like, you know, oh, oh, uh, stuff. Yeah. 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 So, um, okay. yeah. I'm not really embarrassed by any of my, I mean, maybe other people are embarrassed for me, but that's, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the fun stuff is when you can embarrass your friends. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for um, clarifying uh, things about the Pre-Vinylite Society and the motivation to do it. And um, so the main way to interact with that is the Facebook group, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely, the Facebook group is um, the best way to kind of get your voice heard, um, I and think. So but. by joining the group, people can post pictures of their work or questions? Yep. That kind yeah. of thing. And how many people do you have on that group now? Um, not that many yet. I, th I think it's like 150, maybe 200 now. Okay. That's still a pretty sizable group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting requests like every day. So people cool. are interested in joining it. So. Okay. Well. And it's also, it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be about signs. You don't have to post about signs, you know. I mean, ideally, you're not posting about something like, you know, completely unrelated but you know it doesn't have to be um there's a there's a group um called the society for commercial architecture oh no no i'm sorry the society for commercial archaeology okay. that is like they try to um document and and they have like um preservation efforts for um uh like roadside attraction type things or like old diners like signs are part of it but i kind of like that i kind of like that it's like a little so I, I often will like repost their stuff on okay my, cool my online page so all yeah. right well thanks for chatting yeah thank you i really appreciate you you know being able to kind of talk about my role and things yeah okay cool okay thanks again meredith for taking the time to talk with us and explain some of that uh is related to the pre-vinylite society and um 
we wish you much success in the future art shows and other things you have coming up. Um, like to thank our listeners for tuning in yet again and for checking out uh, the show. Uh, I've got some pretty fun things coming up. Um, one of them is Full City Rooster Coffee in Dallas has decided to uh, make a sign painter's blend. Um, as you probably know, Full City has uh, generously sponsored our show from the beginning and gave us uh, a lot of moral support. And um, in addition to that, I've been uh, buying my coffee from them for a couple of years now. Um, and it's, uh, you know, genuinely my favorite coffee, best coffee I think I've, I've found. So um, anyways, uh, if you are interested, um, coming up, I believe later this week, you'll be able to start ordering the Sign Painters Blend from their website at fullcityrooster.com. So uh, check that out. I don't think you'd be disappointed. And uh, they're good people. Uh, we've, uh, we've done some work for them and um, really dig what they're all about and family uh, run company and very much into their community and good stuff. So there's my plug for them and they deserve it because they're, they're doing good stuff. So, uh, till next week, uh, enjoy yourselves and get to some painting. Today's episode of Coffee with a Sign Painter is brought to you by Full City Rooster Coffee Roasters in Dallas, Texas. Roasting distinctive coffees from around the world. Sean drinks Full City Rooster Coffee every day in the studio. You can order their coffee online at fullcityrooster.com. Coffee with a Sign Painter, hosted by Sean Starr. You can find all sorts of info about the show and sign painting, including previous episodes at our website, seanstarr.com. 